The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. On today's show, we're going to review the Seattle Sounders match from last week. We'll also preview our one match this week, not two, but one match this week against the Colorado Rapids. We're also going to talk about some juicy transfer rumors. My name's Landon Cottom, and I'm joined as always by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody, I'm Jeremiah Bentley. Landon, you have heard the Fighting Leslies, correct? Yes, absolutely. And what do you, what do you know about them? Um... Very little. They've we've exchanged some messages online, and I'm gonna get one of the cool T-shirts that they made, and that their mascot is uh, Austin Legend Leslie Cochran. That's about it. And that shirt that you're gonna get is actually sitting on top of my desk right now because it's made it to my house, but not all the way to you. But uh, oh, nice. Yeah. So I went to lunch a couple weeks ago with one of the guys. And for me, like this, this little it was just it was a good little conversation. Like he grew up in Austin. Um, longtime soccer fan, but I thought it did a really good job of like encapsulating the Austin FC fan experience. And it's that like his nickname is Aggie and he grew up in Aggie in Austin, Texas. and was like taunted by his neighbors and teachers and like all these things, even when he was a child about being Texas A&M fan, because that's what we did in Austin back then. So, uh, but what he told me was like the thing that Austin FC has done is like brought all those people together because it's the first time that he's had a team in his city that he like shares fandom with. Um, just like everybody else. So it's like the first time living in Austin all his, lo- his life, it's like the first time he's felt like he's belonged and had something to cheer for that, that, that correlated to everybody else around him. I just thought that was a really good summary of kind of how Austin FC's brought everybody together. Yeah, that's that's really awesome because it's it's true on several several levels, right? Like we have friends within supporters group and like fan culture that are uh, USMNT fans and Mexico fans and UT fans and Oklahoma fans and like fans of things that are opposites essentially. And they all come together to cheer for Austin FC. And it's like up in a place and under this tent that maybe they wouldn't have ever gotten together under before. And so that, yeah, it's really awesome that, that a guy like, like Aggie is, has found a place within the Austin FC fandom. Yeah, I thought that was really, and he also has a really good story about how he like snuck that banner in too, because they've got a giant, uh, <laughs> they've got a banner that's larger, will be allowed in the stadium. I'm not going to give a secret away because I want them to keep getting it in because I think it's pretty cool. But just know there's a lot going on there, and it's a fun group, <laughs> and I will get you your shirt and koozie uh, soon. Oh, a koozie too. I didn't know about that. Yeah, it's a bonus gift just for being a good guy. Nice. All right. Well, I I feel like I've started way too many shows this way this way, but uh, we have to talk about this game that I don't think either of us really want to talk about, which was Seattle Sounders match from last Thursday. Uh, Seattle ended up winning one nil. This was uh, I think I said this on the last show. I think Seattle is the only team in MLS that has more injuries and missing players than Austin does right now. They ended up starting, was it four or five teenagers? I believe it was five. Uh, and, you know, MLS even taunted us by naming them the men of the match and like scratching it out. <laughs> I think it said boys of the match or something by the time it was over. But yeah, it was uh, definitely a young and inexperienced lineup. I think when we talked to Jeremiah O'Shan, we thought it was like a Tacoma Defiance lineup, but it was almost a like Sounders Academy lineup by yeah. the time we got to it. Yeah, there. Were, I think there were more Academy products than there were defiance players on there um 
what so <laughs> i think leaving the the stadium and during the game this is like the the angriest i've been after a game like i felt a lot of emotions during and after austin fc games but i think anger was the emotion i was feeling and we'll we'll get into maybe why that anger was a little misplaced as we get into the game but what were what were your emotions around this game well so this is the first league game that i've not been to because i had a work trip and i was in dallas and we were watching in a in a bar and about half my coworkers are austin fc fans you know so we all found a spot and got them to put it on and we're really excited and the other half were like not soccer fans at all and but they liked us and they wanted to just come along and hang out and i feel like that game was like as a fan was the worst possible game because that game lived up to like all the awful stereotypical things that people say about soccer right it was like fairly boring and kind of low scoring and there was a lot of rolling <laughs> around and you know there was a goal called back and like all the bad soccer things like all my coworkers who just love professional football are like see this is exactly what <laughs> we thought it was going to be like so it was double frustrating for me yeah i yeah it was uh, frustrating is a very good word for it i think if you could put one word on it that's the one right so uh, yeah, as we, as we mentioned, Seattle started five teenagers, had really only one of their main starters start off the game, which was Joao Paulo, maybe a couple of other guys that that would be starters. But um, the first half was just just ugly. Like Seattle sat super deep. They had the center forward, uh, Adiniran, I think is his name around the the halfway line everyone else all 10 other players are in the box and just we're happy to let Austin pass the ball back and forth and Austin was apparently happy to do that as well because they didn't do anything else but pass the ball back and forth and they would create the same little passing triangle on one side pass it to all three players in the triangle recycle it back out pass it to the other side little passing triangle pass it to all three players recycle it back out and it just never looked like they were going to break through and and actually put anything on goal. It's I think a lot of it is is exactly what we've been talking about with this team. It's just like we need one or two players who can make that happen. And I think there's a couple of guys who could do better who are on the team already and just injured, but we are in desperate need of these new signings to come in. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say absolutely. And even if nothing for nothing else, and to kind of get people where they belong or where they're comfortable, because we've got right. some people that could do it in other spots, but they're like, everybody's either outmanned totally, or they're playing out of position one, one way or the other. That's almost right. the whole attack. Yeah. So uh, early on, Austin had, I think, two decent chances in the first half. Mane got a header that went just wide. Uh, it was it was always going to be kind of a tough one. He maybe should have done better to get it on frame, but I'm not going to blame him too much for that one. Um, Cecilia, I think Mane crossed this ball into Cecilio in the 32nd minute, and he kind of, uh, like, I don't know what you call it. Like, it was it was about waist high, and he turned and hit, hits it really hard, but hits it wide. I think he almost definitely should have done better on that one, at least put it on frame. Uh, but that was really it in the first half, and then, the whole game, I think we didn't get many chances. Um, it, it Seattle never looked like they were going to hurt us, 
but we never looked like we were going to hurt them either. And so it seemed like the whole game was just going to be sit deep. Austin's going to pass the ball around. Seattle will launch it long to their USL forward and hope he can do something with it. And that's a lot of what the first half was. Uh, second half comes on. You hear on the broadcast, you could hear uh, the was it John Strong and Stu Holden that did the broadcast? It was, yeah. No, no, sorry, Taylor Twellman and John it? Champion. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I was watching the U.S. game and John Strong and and, uh, and uh, Stu Holden did that one. It was yeah, John John Champion and Taylor Twellman were doing the Austin game, and they were saying like, I it like. Seattle clearly came just to get a point. Like they were going to sit deep and hope to come out of the game with a point. And at halftime, you could hear them saying like, I think Schmetzer should like might change his mind now. Like they, they, if he thinks that he can get something out of this game, maybe they'll, they'll do something more. And uh, I, I think Schmetzer had said he only really wanted to play Joel Paolo 45 minutes. And at halftime, he clearly changed his mind because Joel Paolo stayed on. The 52nd minute, uh, Rui Diaz comes on. And I I said it in the last episode. I was saying it online all week. You give Rui Diaz half a chance and he's going to bury you. And Austin in the 67th minute gave Rui Diaz an eighth of a chance and he buried us. And I think this was the thing that made me most mad that maybe I should have been less mad about was I thought that stuver came off his line and got beat because he came off his line really in the in the replay so you see kellen Rowe kind of dribbles it across midfield and has someone running up the right the right wing he tries to play uh, a through like a driven through ball and beasler gets in front of it and deflects it the ball bounces off beasler's bounces off beasler's chest falls to Rui diaz and in half a second he just blasts it. And so Stuver had kind of come out and stepped wide because he saw that through ball coming and he was in decent position for that. And the ball bounces off Beasler's chest. And before Stuver can even move from that position, Rui Diaz hits it. And I don't, I don't know that like Stuver maybe could have done better, but I don't think you can look at that and say that's Stuver's fault. I think you look at that and say that is a moment of brilliance from one of the best players in the league. Yeah, I mean, even I mean, Beasler kind of accidentally puts the ball on his foot, but Rui Diaz is one of the only guys that, even with that ball on his foot from that far out, scores right. that goal. You know, I mean, that's not that's not a normal chance, even sort of with the chain reaction of events that led to it. Yeah, yeah. So it either way, it felt like a massive punch in the gut. Like it was like Seattle does not deserve to win this game because they've just been sitting with all like all 11 players in their own box the whole time. And they put in one of their starters for 10 minutes and he scores that goal. And it just, uh, it was brutal. But, uh, after that, Austin in the second half, Austin did look a little better. They look like Wolf had kind of told them straighten some things out at halftime maybe. And he said in the post game press conference, he said that the first half was wasted. He's like, We've been working on stuff for the last five or six days. Those players did not do any of it in the first half, and that was a wasted 45 minutes. And so the second half, they looked a little bit better, but then that goal happens, and it's 
I don't know. I, I, th- I think the players felt that punch in the gut as well. In the 77th minute, um, was this, this wasn't a corner because you can't be offside on a corner, but <laughs> it was a, a free kick from out wide. Julio Cascante dives, gets ahead to it, puts it in. Stadium lights go green, smoke bombs <laughs> go off, the, ch- the crowd goes wild, beer showers, everything. VAR checks it, calls it back, correctly so. Uh, Julio Cascante was a head and a shoulder offside when the ball was played. Uh, and goal doesn't count, which was a second gut punch of the night. Yeah, it was. And But you're right. I mean, it, there was no doubt about it not being a goal. And then is that when Cascante, like, they, did they come out and check him then or was that later in the game? When was it then? They- I think it was slightly after that. Okay. And I don't – it was kind of weird because – it, there wasn't like an obvious collision or anything. Like a lot of times you see two players like run into each other and smack heads. The ref will blow the whistle and they'll have the medic come out and check him out because of the like concussion protocol. That's not what happened. Like they had been playing and then they stopped play and had the medics come out and Cascante looked confused too. But I, the only thing I could think of is either someone on the sideline saw it and call like had them call out to the ref or like the VAR saw it and called out to the ref. But there must have at some point been some kind of head contact with Cascante and they wanted to get him checked out before they let him continue playing. And so they they checked him out, took about a minute, and they didn't even make him come off the field, did they? No, they didn't. Yeah. So I thought that was strange too. But um yeah, checked him out, all clear. Um and yeah, and Game ended 1-0. There weren't really any other real chances after that point, but really disappointing loss. Um, it was a moment. Well, Seattle, is they're the best team in the league for a reason, and it's not just because of how good some of their players are. It's the system and the coaching and kind of the culture that has been built around that team. And that culture sinks deep into their youth system too, apparently, because some of those kids did not look out of place. Uh, was it, uh, the kid with the hyphenated last name? I can't remember his name now, Reed Baker Whiting or something like that. He looked, he did not look out of place in that game. And some of those other, other kids did a really good job too. So, um, yeah, Austin definitely should have done better to, to pull something out of, of that game. As far as individual player performances, is there anybody that that stood out that was particularly good or particularly bad to you? I mean, I thought Cascante was good again, and I don't know. I have trouble remembering when we've talked about him on the show and when we've talked about him on Twitter or Slack, but he just continues <laughs> to be continues to be impressive. So I thought this is another game where he deserves credit for being called out for having a strong performance and get, get, being the most threatening player on offense we had too. You know, almost picking up a goal. Yeah. Anybody else? Uh, well, I want to talk about Alex Ring. Um, and I don't... How did you feel about his performance? He had a really rough start to the game, didn't he? Like, some misplaced passes, some bad touches. And in a game where a team was, like, pressing higher on us, it could have turned into more. But luckily, there was, like, two guys within 30 yards of him a lot of times when this was happening. So... Uh, but yeah, I thought he looked kind of rough early on. And then he had a header as well, which he's had a few headers now this season that he should have 
either hit harder or placed better. And another one where he kind of hit it softly and straight at the keeper when nobody was marking him. And so I thought it was maybe one of his worst games. And we have we have high standards for him, right? Like we expect him to do really, really great every game. And this was this was not one of those games. Yeah, I have to agree with that, too. And he still I mean, he had some moments where he was still like the, what you, he had interceptions you expect Alex Ring to make. But he was just he never found a groove. I felt like he was super inconsistent and it was either all really good or really bad and he was way too uh noticeable you know i think one of the, one of the things you don't want to see is a lot of like notice alex ring on the field doing yeah. a lot of things right <laughs> he just wanted to intercept passes and you know move the ball forward and kind of get out of the way but yeah he was definitely uh all over the place too those are the only those are the only individuals i mean how much do we miss danny Pereira? if you talk about somebody who's yeah. like Pereira's absence is the other one i have noted because they just seem like a fundamentally different team even more so this week when he's not around. Yeah, he he could have been useful in a game like this, right? Like when you in a situation where you need one play like one player to be able to like take someone on and break a line. Uh we we're clearly not doing it with passing. There's a few times where we would play like kind of a diagonal ball over the top that would find Mane or find someone kind of making a run. And there was a few dangerous moments there, but Danny Pereira has that dribbling ability to to be able to kind of just like skip past, um, to skip past a player, just dribbling by them or kind of making runs. And he does something different than than the rest of the team does. And so, uh, I I think it still would have been difficult, but he at least offers something a little different than in, in the attack than some of the other players do. Yeah, I think we could talk about some of the stats here, and then really they just kind of bear out exactly what you said from observing the game. I mean, possession, it's 75% possession, but that was definitely possession to no aim. Yeah, I think I think there's like a range of possession that you could say like, okay, this team just did a really great job of possessing the ball. 75 is to the point where like they're letting us possess the ball. <laughs> they don't right. want the ball. <laughs> Yeah, there was that. I was going to say that. We outshot them 13 to 10. Uh, oh, the passing numbers, I think, again, really reinforce that when you talk about uh, sort of sideways passing and back passing and triangles. Oh, uh, so Jesus, we, I hadn't even seen this number. That's yeah, why don't you read that number? Yeah. <laughs> 656 passes to 181. Wow, that is insane. Yeah, Seattle, like I said, did not want the ball. Three shots on target for both teams, so... Even though they only passed the ball 181 times, they still managed to get the same amount of shots on target as we did. Um, and then you have written here shots outside the box. Yeah, again, half of our shots were outside the box, which stats have have shown that we score more goals when we shoot from inside the box. <laughs> Yeah, well, and I think we'll we'll get into this later, but the the thing that excites me the most about our uh, potential new signings is there seem to have been a lot of shots inside the box. Yeah, in, in his highlight for sure. videos, so we'll give away a point from later on. So, uh, what do you think about the post game press conference? Uh, it was. <laughs> I didn't watch. I I watched it later. I was driving home from the the stadium whenever the they re- initially happened. And so I gave myself a couple of days before I watched watched it back, but it was a little bit grim, and I could imagine it was even more grim right after, right after it. But it was, um, I don't know. I I, I think there's like some good earnestness and 
and honesty coming out of it to say like, these are the things that went wrong fr from both Wolf and uh, Fagundes saying like, these are the things that, that we did wrong and we, sh we need to do better. Yeah. And I don't know how exactly how they pick uh, what player is like the player in the post game press conference generally on a game like this. I mean, I assume if, you know, somebody scores a hat trick then that's probably the guy that we have, but I feel like Diego was probably the best person to have. Like I can imagine Alex ring was in such a bad yeah. mood. He would not want to be, Who'd you, who you would have on the mic, but I think Diego was the person to best like be honest about sort of the club and where they are and, and what they did or didn't do. To be honest, and also for like the fans not to destroy as far <laughs> right, as like any right. quotes that they made. <laughs> Diego and Wolf said like, the right players are out in the field. We had a game plan. We did not execute in second. And that is not acceptable. And I think Wolf even said that there were like some things that he that he needs to learn as a coach, which I, again is a good thing to hear. I don't I don't want a first year coach coming out and saying, "Nope, I did everything completely right." <laughs> I'm I'm glad to hear him say, "I made a mistake, and I'll learn from that one." And I I believe it. He's he's the kind of coach that he's been called a teacher by his current and former players. And I think to be a good teacher, you need to be able to learn. And I think that's kind of the attitude that he seems to go about these things with. But um, was was there any other quotes that that you wanted to point out? Yeah, the Diego, when you mentioned, I like that he he took advantage. Well, I'm sorry. What he said was, is that we need that the Austin needed to take advantage of players, you know, players like that. And that Seattle came out and played soccer props them. But at the same time, we need to be better. We need to take advantage of those times, body them, and give them a little welcome to the league because this league is not easy. And I thought that was a um, just a really frank quote out of Diego um, that speaks to to sort of where they fell short uh, overall, all the way around. Um, and I know you found some. Well, there's plenty of criticism of Josh Wolf online uh, after that. Are there any particular parts of that you want to dive into a little bit? Yeah, I've heard like some. Uh like criticism of varying degrees of reasonableness towards Josh Wolf, uh, ranging from like criticizing him for things that he can't really control all the way to saying like he should be fired, which I think that is absolutely ridiculous to be calling for a manager's head this early in the season. And it's an expansion team. He's a first year coach. So he was not brought in to to be a world beater this year. This is a long-term build. I think everyone who's been paying attention knows that. And like I don't know, just people who I I think it's like the whole like world modern football thing, right? Like in the Premier League and like Champions League clubs, there's always like this big call like he, he he's only been here for two games, but he's lost both of them. Fire him. We need a new manager. And, and it's just like this whole mentality that I like, I think is a part of the game at certain levels and in certain situations, this is not that situation. Josh Wolf, as long as he is showing progress and is very clearly putting a system into, into place, which I think that is obvious that he has a system and these players are, are, executing against the system for the most part, he's not going to get fired and he should not be fired. <laughs> so some of the, the criticisms I saw were a of 
the like the initial lineup. I think that's the best lineup we could have put out there given the players available. Did you do you think there's any any alternatives that could have maybe been better there? No, I think that's I think that that is given given what we had and that touches on the next one just substitutions because we didn't make I think we made what two Yeah, we only used two substitutions. But then if you went and looked at like who else was on the bench, there was there were no other Yeah. There's there was nobody to go to. I mean, we who are you gonna two. put in? You're gonna put Freddie Kleeman at center forward. Really, the only offensive substitution that was not used was Jared Stroud. Uh, Jared Stroud was not the guy who was gonna change that game. He's he's not. We, we've seen enough of him to know that in a bunker defense, Jared Stroud's not gonna change that game. Jared Stroud is at his best in like an open game where he can get out ahead of someone, put in an early cross. But in a game where it's bunkered, he's not going to change that. So that's not the answer. Um, yeah, so substitutions, that's not a valid criticism. I have heard some people criticizing the tactics, and I think that one's fair. Like, uh, if you think that there's something that you can change about your principles of play, about your tactics that are going to be better for this game, then you should put that into place. Uh, I think having come from the school of Burhalter, we've seen that Greg Burhalter is not usually willing to change how he wants to play just to win a single game. He's in it for the long, like the long game, for better or for worse. And I think Wolf is kind of that same way. And so, in a situation where maybe playing like a bit more direct or doing something else is going to be a little bit better in a game. I don't know that he's going to venture too far off of, of his game plan. And I, again, like I think if you think that's the wrong way to go, I think that's a fair criticism. Uh, maybe being a bit more adaptable is something that Wolf should do. Uh, but I think that's just the way he's, he's going to coach and it's the way he was taught to coach. And I think that's something that uh, I, I think he sees it as, this is the way we're going to play for the next three, four, five years. This is the way we're going to play when we get these new signings in. And so I'm not going to change it for this game. Do you, do you think that's a fair assessment or am I reading I, that wrong? No, I think, I think that has to be the assessment. And I think that goes back into uh, Claudio talking about not acquiring players, uh, you know, in an, like as a response to an emergency, but really building for the long term. And I think the way that they work together, you know, the roster... Uh, Josh is still dealing with a partial roster construction, right? Too, so you're dealing with partial roster construction and, you know, injury. I think that they really are into this three year, four year, you know, whatever it takes, like view of what they're doing. I think that extends to the way they play on the field just as much as it extends to the way Claudio's like making acquisitions that fit within sort of their target areas where they want to they want to build the club. So Austin Austin FC is now in last place in the West. Is this we just said like it's not time to fire the manager. Like, what? How should we feel about being last place in the West right now? <laughs> I don't think we should feel great about it. <laughs> um, it, it. We also in last place in the West in terms of points per game played. Like, I was hoping I could like look back in solace and say that oh, we've got a game in hand, and so we're really only in eleventh um, or twelve. But I, I don't know that to be true. I don't um, think we do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we have we have nothing to fall back on. But you know, Phil uh, had a, West had a headline on the striker. It was basically uh, pondering the idea of whether these were the darkest days of this year that Austin FC fans should consider themselves at it. I mean, I like 
to believe so that we have people getting healthier. We have players coming. We have a schedule that's lightening up a little bit that this is as, as low as it gets and that we will go where, nowhere but up from there. Yeah, I <laughs> I think that's probably true. Um, if these new signings stay in limbo for a few more weeks, then I think that makes that not necessarily true. But I think even this next game against Colorado, even if none of these guys are ready to go right now, if any of them are even just like, okay, they're not going to be ready for this one, but they're in town, they're in quarantine, they're going to start training this day, they'll be ready for this day. I think just that will be enough for the fans to be like, okay, it doesn't matter what happens against Colorado. We, we're going to be better off in this next game. <laughs> yeah, so I, I was going to ask this a little bit later, but I think it makes sense now. Um, do you think that Josh Wolf's system makes it harder for people who are brand new to the country to like integrate? I mean, is it something we should worry about? Like, is, um, it, is it a complicated enough system that they can't just, you know, if they're playing really straightforward, you can just like, hey, there's a talented guy, drop him in and let him run, you know? Or do you, do you think that that, do you think that the learning curve will be longer for our signings than it might be otherwise because of the way they play? I think there'll definitely be more of a learning curve for them because it is, it's a very specific way of playing. And I think it, a lot of it relies on kind of betting in with a certain group of players and kind of knowing tendencies and, and things like that. So I think there will be a learning curve. So yeah, I, 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 the first few games may not be the sharpest, um, but just the fact that like if GT starts playing, the fact that he is a striker who does striker things, like even if he doesn't, if he's not on the exact same page, like if a ball falls to him in a certain area, he's going to thump it. Like, you yeah. know, he's going to hit it. And like, that's not something that many of our players have been doing. And, and then we'll get into the, the Sebastian juicy rumors, but, um, I think there's a lot of things that he does just naturally as a player that although there will be a learning curve for the system, you could throw him into a game on pretty like very little preparation and he he's going to show his quality and still be able to do something. Well, let's maybe stick a stake in the heart of what was Seattle and take a break and talk about what that brighter future might look like. Yeah, well, yeah, let's take that quick ad break and then we're going to come back and talk about the latest transfer rumor, Sebastián Driussi. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. You can go to FVF.law to find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FVF.law. All right, Jeremiah, let's get into it. I think this is what I spent a lot of my weekend doing, and then a ton of us were waiting today for green smoke that never came. But there's been a rumor that, uh, a revived rumor, I guess, that 25-year-old Argentine forward Sebastian Triussi. Uh, the rumors were that Austin FC had put in a bid or that maybe he was going to be signing. Now the reports are that it's happening. It's it's all but done. So if you all remember uh, back when the Pochettino rumors started, kind of the, the main 
the main journalist that kind of broke the story and said, like, this is a done deal, it's definitely happening, was Cesar Luis Merlo from Argentina. Uh, once again, today, there had been various anonymous Instagram accounts and Twitter accounts posting it, and then a few journalists in Argentina talking about it. Cesar Luis Merlo today tweets that it's happening. Like, this is definitely happening. And he's the kind of guy that doesn't tweet about stuff unless it's happening, right? Like, it's it's almost definitely going through if he's talking about it in such certain terms. So we were sitting around all, all day Monday today waiting for that green smoke, waiting for that green smoke. And it has not happened yet. So uh, – what it, what do we think the holdup is here? <laughs> I don't. This is just. Uh, I believe I've mentioned like MLS transfers are so tedious. I feel like this is. We've been talking about this for almost a month, you know, in some form now, you know, in some rumor. I think this is even longer yeah. than Pochettino. And um, I think Zenit posted like a farewell video to him, right? So like he's officially out to parts unknown uh, as yeah, of today. So, yeah, de- definitely out uh, out at Zenit. Um, he yeah Zenit posted essentially like a report saying like we are confirming that that Drewsy will no longer be playing for us he posted a video of him like saying goodbye to all of his teammates and like a very emotional video of him saying like the last four years have been amazing uh I can't wait to see you all again thanks for everything and it was like really emotional it, like seemed like he was tearing up while I was saying it so he's gone and then you've got Merlo in Argentina saying like he's coming to Austin, and so it's like okay, he's definitely coming, but why won't anybody tell us that he's actually coming? <laughs> yeah, and then the most annoying part is you have MLSsoccer.com, who are the people that are signing the contracts, like posting strong rumors that he's coming or whatever, right? You know, and it's yeah. just it's just the way things work in this league. So I mean, I just have to imagine there's some specific parts of his contract. Whether I don't know if it's a a buyout, you know, I think it's, he wasn't out. Um, you know, he wasn't out of contract, so there's you know there's some transfer fee, or there's there's probably an agent somewhere or something. I mean, there's so many factors that go into these deals that I can't necessarily guess what the specific one is. So it's just it's just a matter of time, and I, I would like that time to be sooner rather than later. But I've learned to not. Um, what do you, you what do they say? You need to control the things you can and sort of not worry about the things you can't. Like that's what I'm trying to do with this move. Yeah, and you mentioned all the the various things that could complicate it. Add in the global pandemic going on as well, which I'm sure complicates things even more. But um, we we do think it's happening. Maybe by the time you hear this episode, we're going to see Precourt's green smoke tweet, and it's going to be all all going forward. But maybe not. Who knows how long it's going to take? But uh, we are pretty confident it's going to happen. So we're going to go ahead and kind of cover cover the player now as if it will happen this week but how how are we feeling about this jeremiah what are what are your thoughts on it yeah I, I feel great about it i mean i feel like a person who's a starter on a championship league level team that's in a league stronger than us in a position of dire need um is can be nothing but but an upside i mean more more good players is a good thing for austin especially in attack with the way we're constructed now yeah so you mentioned kind of his his bona fides there. So he's been playing for Zenit St. Petersburg since 2017. They've won the league three times since he's been there. Uh, I, I like, I'm not super familiar with, with the Russian league. So, but I, I know that there are teams in the champions league every year. I looked it up and his, 
as far as like general league value, so looking at transfer marked mainly, where they uh, they'll kind of estimate player value. So they had Sebastian Drusi valued at $8.5 million. On Zenit's roster, he was the ninth highest valued player, if that tells you anything. On a, on a given MLS roster, $8.5 million is going to be the top, if not like on a very good team, maybe top two or three. But most teams, that's the most expensive player. He's the ninth most expensive player on Zenit's roster. Um and so it's not not like a, a nothing league. This is a pretty high quality league, especially at the top. I think the quality goes down as you get further down the table there. But uh, yeah, Zenit plays in Champions League every year, including Jerusi playing in Champions League. He has a Champions League goal, so like lots of Champions League minutes under his belt. So just from kind of a resume standpoint, I think this looks pretty good. If you look at his stats, I've seen some people saying that like they don't think his stats look super good. Um, so it's not, <laughs> it's, he hasn't ever scored like 25 goals, but if you find a guy who has scored 25 goals, then he's going to, those are the ones that cost $25 million. Right. So, uh, but looking at his stats, they're not bad by any, any means. So, it, over the stretch of his career in the so in the Argentinian league and in the Russian league he has had 0.37 goals per 90 and 0.18 assists per 90 so if you extrapolate the goals out that ends up being like a 12 or 13 goal season across the the span of an MLS season that's a great return in MLS and he was doing that at at arguably a higher level than MLS uh, doing that in the Russian league and in Argentina with, with uh, river plate where he came from. So I think that those stats, like maybe they're not the eye catching like tons of goals that everybody's wanting to see. But I think those goals, especially when you kind of extrapolate that to MLS, that could turn up, turn out to be some really good stats. Um, another concern is that I've seen online is that people aren't sure that he plays the position that we need right now. So he gets listed as a left wing a lot of times, which is he's played quite a bit there for, uh, for Zenit. But I, I would hardly call the position he plays left wing, even when he's on the left wing. So how much, how much footage did you get a chance to watch? Did you just see kind of the, the highlight goal, like, goal videos on youtube or did you watch anything else so i watched those videos on youtube and he was scoring a lot from in close that was the one thing that we we talked about before we came on um was that he was scoring a lot around goal um which is nice and then i watched some of the uh i guess it was from y scout stuff that you sent over which is more you know not just goals and assists but more sort of regular game actions um and it's probably not surprising but he's clearly would be the most talented player on the field for Austin FC in the attack for sure. Right. I mean, just from yeah. what I've seen, there's not much doubt about that. Yeah. I was talking to uh, Kevin Morris on uh, over the weekend and I, I said, sure. Like he'll be our best player. Right. And he, like Kevin was watching some footage as well. And the only person that, that he thought, and I think this is fair, that would be even like in the same caliber would be Alex ring as far as just like, thinking of like which player on this team could play at the highest level 
And I think Driussi and Alex Ring are the ones who could, you could throw them into like the Bundesliga and they would be fine. Like they'd be good players in that league. And I, I think that's fine. But as far as attacking talent goes, he's going to be our best player day one. Like with, like we talked about betting into the system and all that, like he's going to be our best player. Um, And talking about position. So he's played on left wing quite a bit for Zenit and it's not really as like, I was thinking like left wing is like, uh, Oh, like in a four, three, three, like left wings, like Zenit usually plays like a straight up four, four, two. And so he was really playing like left midfielder in a four, four, two. But even when he's playing on that left wing, he's floating all over the field. And so a lot of uh, fans will, will recognize the name Malcolm, the Brazilian player, Malcolm, he plays for Zinit and he plays on the opposite side on the right wing. And so a lot of the, like their play kind of runs through Malcolm on that right side. If the ball's on the right side and Drewsy's playing left wing, Drewsy's in the middle of the field. He's not hanging out over in the left. He's, he's over there, like kind of in that number 10 spot. And so regardless, I, I watched quite a bit of footage over the weekend. I think I watched two full games and there was another game I found where he came on in the 65th minute and was really involved and watched all of that. But regardless of what position he's starting in, he always kind of floats into the middle of the field. And so super active moves around a lot, but not in a way where he's like chasing the ball because he's like being selfish. He's doing it in a very smart and like helpful way. And so if I had to put a position on him, I would say he's like a kind of like a second striker slash number 10. And regardless of where he is on the field, he finds a way to kind of still play that position. So I was thinking, would you say, does that remind you of like the way for, for, for those of us that have just watched Austin, like the way Diego played against Portland? Cause didn't he play on the yeah. left wing? And then if you looked at it, but, but then if you looked at kind of where he played positionally, I mean, he started on the left wing, but if you look at what he played positionally, that was not at all where he was, right? He was kind of in yeah. the midfield and leading the attack. So you would see, you, you could kind of imagine that being a similar um, setup for how Drew he plays. Exactly. Yeah. The way that Diego played that game is a lot like what Juicy does. There's a lot of games where, so like in Y Scout, if you go through like the game history, it says what position the player played. And so I went through and found a bunch of games where it listed him as playing center forward and watched through. And almost every time there was another striker up top that would kind of stretch the line and stay high. And Drusy was dropping in, running all over the field, making himself available, picking up the ball, moving the ball around. And so it was, I only found a couple of games. I'm sure I was just kind of picking through randomly finding stuff, but I did find one game where they're at River, his last year at River, um, where he was playing as like a proper center forward in a 4-3-3. But every other thing I saw, he was there was almost always someone else up top and he was dropping in, floating around to the left, floating to the right, moving around, dropping into midfield. And so a super active player. And you mentioned Diego Fagundes. I think um, similar, not similar to Diego in every way, but similar to Diego in how active he is. And we, we mentioned the, he's here, he's there, he's ever, every F and where chant that applied to Diego a few episodes back that applies to Drew C as well really like buzzy little player that's kind of all over the place. 
um, other, other tendencies that he has. I, and the way that maybe he's not like Diego is, uh, he moves really well in the box. And so he can kind of drop in and do like those number 10 kind of things. But when the ball would get forward for, for Zenit, when he's playing in that, that second striker position, he moves in the box like a striker. And so like really clever runs, really like intelligent runs. And then was it like, he's not a super big guy. He's listed at five ten, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was a bit of an exaggeration even um, scores headers, like gets his head on the ball, really crafty in the box. Uh, will will definitely be a guy who, if he gets a chance in the box, he's going to smash it and and will likely finish it. Which is, again, would be a very welcome welcome skill set to have. Yeah, that's what I noticed from the the one like the YouTube video that everybody I think probably watched was uh there was it was aggressiveness in the box on every shot. Like it, there would be the floating the floating header that Alex ring put in um, yeah. against Seattle would have been hammered. <laughs> so some, a few other observations that I had when watching through this, uh, he's, he has a really nice cross as well. And for Zenit, when he's on the field, took most of their corners. And so I feel like he maybe would even like take Cecilia's spot on corners. I've noticed that Wolf likes to have an in swinging corner. And so if it's from the left corner, then Cecilia takes them. If it's from the right corner, then Jean takes them with his left foot. And so I could see like those longer, longer range free kicks and corner kicks that maybe Juicy would step in for Cecilia in those spots and we could get Cecilia in the box. Um, as far as like playing that, like as like a false nine or like a second striker, I could see in the meet, like if Gta somehow gets delayed longer than what Drewsi is and Drewsi starts before, or if maybe GTA's not quite ready to be starting games, I could see them playing Drewsi at the nine and playing kind of that, the role that Cecilio has been playing that false nine role. He does that better than, than Cecilio, uh, his kind of drop in play that kind of like soft hold up play. If that makes sense, like, dropping in to receive a ball. He's not like posting up on dudes and like leaning back on, on six foot four defenders. Like he's not that kind of hold up player, but the kind of dropping in one touch to, to one of the midfielders and turning and running like that kind of stuff. He's really good at. And so he like does Diego stuff better than Diego. He does that false nine stuff better than Cecilio. And by him doing some of that stuff, he opens up these other players to do other things that they're, as good at like other things they're better at to do it in a different spot. And so uh, I just think he brings a lot of, a lot of skill set and a lot of quality that is really going to help this team. And after watching the YouTube clips, I was like, I don't understand why this is the guy, like why this is the guy they're going after. And I wasn't super high on it, but after watching all this footage over the weekend, I am going to be extremely disappointed if this transfer doesn't go through for some reason. <laughs> Oh, well, we don't want anybody to break your heart, Landon. So that's, <laughs> yeah, and like if he could if he could find Gita, you know, in the air somewhere between the other hemisphere here, it'd be great. Maybe you can <laughs> yeah. grab him and bring him along too. Uh, so do we think Juicy is going to solve all of our problems? The answer is no. Like, but no one player was ever going to solve all of our problems, right? So I think Juicy solves our problems in 
the sense that he lets other players play their better positions, just brings more quality to the attack. And I think if GT is a half decent striker, then I think the two of them together solve a lot of our attacking problems. I would totally agree with that. And just even in terms of of minutes, you know, it lets guys like Stroud and Gallagher come on and cause trouble, right? And not be relied on every every game or almost every game to be starters and to, and to go the full time, you know, and it allows Diego to to play a little differently and um you know, it allows Pochettino to sit on the bench some, you know, and not play every single minute and it's just there's so much more flexibility it adds up if both these guys come on board and they're competent. Yeah, and one other thing that I wanted to talk about just based on what I'm seeing online is like where he would play in this system. And I've seen some people just say like, oh, he should play the 10. I was like, well, in Josh Wolf's system, like what does that even mean? What is the the number 10 in, in this system? Like the 10 is who you tell to be the 10, like regardless of where they're starting on the field. Like you could say that Diego Fagundes in Portland was playing as like, as kind of a 10, even though he started on the left wing. And so I honestly, like, I have no clue where he's going to line up initially on the pitch, but I know that wherever it is, he's going to play more or less the same way. And he's going to play kind of that 10 creative playmaker thing. So I could see him uh, playing on the right wing. I could see him playing like a false nine. I could see him being at like one of the, those two, what Wolf calls the tens, like those two advanced midfielders. And so I honestly don't know, but I could see any, any, any combination of those things. So maybe you get Cecilio on the left wing, uh, Drusy at the false nine and, uh, Gallagher, Diego, somebody else on the right wing, or whenever Gita's in, I could see it being him being on one of the wings, Cecilio being on the other wing, Gita at striker, and then you can play Fagundes in midfield. I, I, I don't know. And I imagine we'll see all of the above while Wolf is kind of playing with it or like see something he wants to exploit or take advantage of in certain games. Um, I, I think we'll probably see him in a few different spots. But the good thing is he's not going to be shoehorned into those spots. He can play all of them and and do it to a pretty high level. Let's, yeah, that's that's great to hear. That's something I don't think... I mean, positional flexibility is good. I mean, we've got a ton of people with positional flexibility, but they have to be they have to be good in those spots. Like we have a lot of people, yeah. <laughs> lot of people who who can play positions that maybe shouldn't be playing those positions. So, a little bit more depth and attack will definitely be nice. So, talking about some other potential additions or eventual additions, we've got Musa Gite, who is definitely signed. He's going to be here eventually, right? But he's not here yet. Word is that it's visa stuff being caught up. Uh, the American government doesn't care that Austin <laughs> FC can't score a goal. And so that's apparently what the holdup is. As of the end of last week, he we had on good information that he was not in Austin yet. And whenever he does get here, I think Wolf said in one of the press conferences that he's going to have to quarantine for five days. And then at that point, they'll start training and see if he's ready to be fit into the squad yet. So like if he got here today, he might be available for the Colorado game on Saturday. So I'm not going to let my hopes get too high for either of these players 
to play in the the game on Saturday. Um, the other one is Mackenzie Gaines, who we saw a little bit of in the Tigres match. He's still, according to reports from Chris Bills, he's still training with the team. And so my read on that is that Wolf is still kind of assessing him and seeing if he thinks that he wants to add him. Is is that what you took from that? Yeah, that's, that's what I took from that too. And I, I think we are running out of roster spots. So you have to make sure if McKenzie, at this point, if McKenzie Gaines is the guy you want, then you're you're taking him at the exclusion of being able to sign somebody else on another part of the field. So you have to decide, like, is this a position of need? And if so... Is this a guy that can help us out? Yeah, so I'm. I was looking at kind of the supplemental roster rules, and based on that, I was fairly confident we'd be able to get gains on a supplemental spot. Do you think that's true? That yeah, that I'm ninety nine percent sure that's true. So we do have one spot left that he could fit into, and therefore would not take up a senior roster spot. I was kind of of the mind a few weeks ago that we needed to use that spot on a defender, like a versatile defender who could maybe play center back and outside back. Um, now that we've got three healthy center backs and then we've got Freddie Kleeman back in the team and Aiden Stanley has shown that he can play on both sides at fullback. And I believe he played some center back in college and could even slot in at center back. Maybe we're good on the back line. For now, as far as like depth goes, you could talk about quality and like replacing players in the offseason, whatever. But as far as just like covering our bases and having enough depth on the back line, I think maybe we're good. So maybe we could afford to sign a guy like McKenzie Gaines and just have some more forward depth at this moment. Well, forwards definitely are a position of greatest need at this point, even with uh, guys coming eventually. I did love the, uh, I don't remember, I saw it in several places, the uh, Musajite on a milk carton. Uh, meme. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen Musajite? <laughs> so shout shout out to the guys that put that together. All right, let's jump into some other Austin FC news real quick. So Austin FC was initially supposed to play two games this week. So there's going to be a midweek game against Vancouver Whitecaps. Uh, Vancouver had been playing their home games in Salt Lake City, but they last week were uh, allowed to go back home. Essentially, you're going to play the rest of their games at home in Canada. Um, while they're in that transition period, they decided to move this game back. And so Austin will now not have that game in week and only have the game against Colorado, which I see is great news for Austin FC with where we are right now. That's, that's nothing but good. One thing we didn't talk about when we were talking about injuries is that Josh did a really good job this week of saying like these, I could, like, these six guys are all in various states of recovery and some are going to be back in a week and some in two weeks and some longer and never not being specific about any of them. So will Nick Lima be back? You know, probably not for Saturday, maybe for the next game, who knows like the same with Schoenfeld. And um, so I think, yeah, if we can get a little gap here um, to get guys in and get, get, continue to get guys healthy, we'll be in a lot better shape. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the, yeah, the main one would be, Pereira, we still haven't. We don't have a clear timeline on Pereira, do we? We do not. And that Josh has another press conference tomorrow afternoon where he'll get asked again. But he's never been. He's never going to say like yes for sure or no. Absolutely. I mean, not. he did with Lima. He did say like one or two more weeks probably. So I would say like Lima might be a stretch for the Colorado game. But after that, I imagine we start seeing him at least dressing again and being available, 
even if he's not ready to start. But yeah, with the others, he's been very vague and probably intentionally so. Uh, let's see what else do we have. Uh, the upcoming away match at FC Dallas. So this is going to be the first Copa Tejas match in the regular season. Our first away game in within Texas. This is going to be a big one, isn't it, Jeremiah? Yeah, it's absolutely going to be a big one. So I know there's at least 500, and I'm, I'm guessing closer to six or 700 Austin folks who are planning um, on making the trip up for that one. So we may have a bigger supporter section than FC Dallas because uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. There's like a, a lot of the Austin folks are sitting together. And so those tickets are available for purchase from the FC Dallas website. But it's going to be a, a huge crowd. Um Bus travel up and back is being arranged, and you're going to be a part of that. You're going to have a heck of a weekend. Do you want to share with everybody <laughs> what your plan is for August 7th and 8th? Yeah, so um, my wife, is she has some like an extended time off of work and is going to go spend some time like doing some volunteer work in Mexico. And so I'm going to go down the first week that she's there, and we're just going to kind of have a vacation uh, before she starts her volunteer stuff. We're leaving the day after this this match up in Frisco. So we're going to take the the bus with all the supporters up to Frisco, go to the game, take the bus back, which will probably get home like around 2 in the morning. And then uh, we're going to catch a flight at 8 a.m. the next day <laughs> to Mexico. And so we're going to have kind of a whirlwind trip, but didn't want to miss this game. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to us taking six, seven hundred, maybe a thousand people into FC Dallas's home stadium and kind of making it a home game. And so if any of you want to be a part of this, like Jeremiah said, we'll throw that ticket link in the show notes. You can buy a ticket. If you buy it through this link, you'll be guaranteed to be in the section with Austin FC fans. Um, it will give you a, like a specific seat, but I think the plan is for it to kind of be just general admission. If you're an Austin fan, you sit in this section, find a seat, sit with your friends, be wherever you want to be. And so don't worry too much about like where it actually is. Just buy it through that link and you'll be with the Austin people. And then as Jeremiah mentioned, there's going to be some bus travel uh, organized as well that we'll have more information on uh, before that game. But um, if you watch, just check the emails from your supporters group. If you're in a supporters group, Find it on on Twitter or wherever you get your information, and you'll find some information about that pretty soon. And we should also, before we, there, I'm pretty sure there will be at least a tailgate and maybe like a meetup at a bar before that too. And we should also send a shout out to Katie Ensign, who is one of our favorite people and also does so much of this travel planning, putting in countless hours to make sure that a whole lot of people can get together and travel and have a good time uh, in the Austin FC way. Uh, another bit of local soccer news is the Austin Soccer Foundation is having their annual awards gala on August 12th. Tell us a little bit about that, Jeremiah. Yeah, so the Austin Soccer Foundation, they have a few things that they do. They help train up coaches. Um, this awards gala is their fundraiser for their scholarship program, um, which goes to local kids to help them get into college. Um, I believe this is their fourth annual one. This is a, a live event um, on on the August 12th at the South Congress Hotel, which they are happy to be doing again. And this year's honoree is a Moby Akuku, a uh, soccer player from the Bold, who, in addition to that, is the founder of a financial literacy platform and a Forbes 30 under 30 class of 2021 member. So a really cool guy connected to the soccer scene. Um, 
here in town. So it should be should be a fun event. It's a fundraiser where they can raise scholarship uh, money to send some kids to college and do a little good in the community. And I'm sure a lot of the other soccer people that we know and love will be a part of that. All right, let's jump into our, a quick preview of the Colorado Rapids game. So what can we expect from this game? And I guess we kind of did, we've been doing like little history of the team and stuff like that. I think we can kind of skip that and just jump into what can we expect from this game, right? Yeah, so if, if for those of you that don't remember, that was one of the high points of the season was Denver Day when we went to we went to Colorado and, and beat them 3-1, but they've looked a lot better. I think they were near the bottom of the uh, Western Conference at that point in time, but they looked a lot better since then. Um, they're up to fourth in the West. They had a strong July. They had two wins and two draws up until this Saturday when they they got blown up by RSL um, in in uh, Salt Lake. Was Phil at that game? No. What was um, Phil was in Salt Lake, but he wouldn't have. Never mind. He wouldn't have been there no, to cover. He, yeah, he went to one of the Texas teams up he there. He was one of the Texas teams, but yeah. So they, I think that was a bit of an anomaly. But yeah, they're definitely um, stronger than they were earlier in the year. But they are missing some players. Yeah, so they currently have several players missing. They have uh, Kellen Acosta, Sam Vines, and Jonathan Lewis are all with the national team at the Gold Cup. So, the, funny, funnily enough, they might. You know, by then they'll probably be gone from Austin, but they're all in Austin this week, just not to play in that game. Uh, and then Diego Rubio has been injured. I'm not sure if he's going to be back yet or not. So they might be without their first choice striker. And then uh, center back Danny Wilson, who started every game for them so far, is out on yellow card uh, accumulation. So he's not going to be available for that game. So they're missing quite a few players. Um, that being said, they they have quite a few quality players still available, but missing a few in, in some key spots for sure. Well, and I am not going to get arrogant about a team missing players after yeah. this week. <laughs> we did that Seattle preview, and we're like, I mean, they got a bunch of teenagers, and like everybody's goods on international duty or or hurt. So this is this is going to be a great chance for us to pick up points. So I'm not going to say that about Colorado, even though they may be a little bit depleted. But also, yeah. it's, it's probably a really good chance for us to pick up some points for going to. Yeah, I think from a morale standpoint, Austin FC fans need at least a point out of this one, but. If we can get some green smoke before then, maybe it, maybe it won't matter as much. <laughs> yeah, and it'll be a Saturday night, so it'll be uh, one of our first like Saturday night home game in a while, right? In should a be, long time, yeah. yeah. It seems like forever. So it should be should be a party. The, uh, what do we say? The supporters section is never defeated, so we'll be we'll be loud and we'll <laughs> cheer the whole game and hopefully get some results on the field. Hopefully we'll make some uh, make some good choices this time in the final third, as opposed to what we've been doing lately. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Before we wrap up, we'd like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, we'd also like to invite you to continue the conversation on social media, mostly on Twitter. That's where we spend a lot of our time these days, especially while we're waiting for Verde Smoke from Anthony Precourt. But you can find me at LVRHO87, Jeremiah is at jbentley underscore ATX, and you can find the podcast on Instagram and on Twitter at Soccer. Uh, we'd also encourage you to visit the Striker Texas website. Jeremiah, what is an article they should look for this week? So Phil wrote a couple good wrap-up articles. Uh, one uh, from about Diego that specifically uh, went into depth on that quote that we talked about earlier. And then also this piece uh, on basically, is it this as bad as it gets for Austin FC fans? And I thought those were really good. And on the on the rate, review, and subscribe, like I loved all the people that rated and reviewed when we were like giving away money to the food bank. And then when we stopped, they stopped. So like if you like the show... <laughs> If you like the show, like it helps us out if you tell people about it, even if there's no 
financial motivation. We can still send out send out stickers, right? Maybe we could do that. We can maybe we yeah, can well, send some stick. We'll can send some send some stickers for review, but maybe we won't we won't donate any more money. <laughs> uh, all right. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in one week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer, where we will cover the latest in Austin FC news. Hopefully, a signing. Hopefully, the arrival of of the the lost Musajite. And then we'll also review the Colorado match that's happening this weekend. And then we'll preview the uh, the first Copa Teos matches that will be coming up that next week. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. No one is around. Yeah, well, so I think we can talk about Jeremiah, the Jeremiah, time out. Time oh, out. Okay. There's a, there's a wasp flying around. Oh, no. <laughs> Hold on. Okay, I'm back. <laughs> that was quite dramatic, man. Did you get it? <laughs> it wasn't. It was a fucking flying roach. Oh, geez. It like landed on my computer monitor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have no idea what the last thing that was uh-huh. said was.